Today's Bible reading uh, is the last week for a while that we're going to be spending on the bad news. Uh, to fully appreciate the good news of the gospel, first we have to understand the bad news of the very real trouble that we humans are in without Jesus. And so in this section of Romans, Paul has been relentless in telling us all about the bad news. And so I said almost a month ago now that for, for a while now, for, for a few weeks, it's going to be like going through a long, dark tunnel. But my, how much brighter the light of the gospel is going to be when we come out on the other side. And today is the last day that we're going to be spending in that long, dark tunnel. Uh, next week, we're going to be finished with the bad news. We'll be out of the tunnel and we'll be out into the light of the good news again as we hear about the good news of how Jesus has set us free. But today, we're into the fourth week in a row of hearing the bad news. You know how you hear about these churches? All they ever do is preach the doom and gloom and preach hell and damnation. Well, that's us for the four weeks. <laughs> that's us. Because we're reading in Romans, working our way through Romans, and, and there it all is, just keeps going and going. Um, in the first week, we began hearing about the downward spiral of godlessness and unrighteousness that all of humanity are caught up in. And sometimes we might be tempted to, to, to say, oh, things are just getting so bad in the world, aren't they? Yeah, oh, look at things, they're just getting worse and worse and worse. And you know what? That's right. Things are getting worse in the world. And so we heard about how the wrath of God is being revealed. And the wrath of God has two aspects to it. Just like a saucepan can be simmering away on a stove, but then the heat gets turned up a little bit and it boils over, well, God's wrath is like that. God's wrath is currently simmering away. It is present and active in the world today. And there is a day which the Bible calls the day of the Lord or the day of wrath when that saucepan is going to suddenly boil over. God's wrath is going to boil over in the judgment of the world. And so the simmering wrath of God is being revealed because people have turned their backs on God. They've become godless and they've turned to idolatry. That was the first week. In the second week, we then began to investigate, well, what is this wrath of God? If the wrath of God is being revealed, if it's there for us to see, what does it look like? And it might have been a bit of a surprise to some of us to discover what the simmering wrath of God actually is. We were told God handed them over. God handed them over to all sorts of unrighteousness. Homosexuality was the key example, and it includes all sorts of sexual perversions. And then it went on. It said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are gossips, sorry, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Fair catalogue there, isn't it? And the wrath of God is this. 
God gave them up. God gave the world up to all of these things and to a debased mind, a worthless mind. Our society have so rejected God that God handed them over so that they can no longer even tell right from wrong anymore. And so unrighteousness increases. And all of that terrible list of sins that are getting a go on in our society are the wrath of God. When we reject God and when we harden our hearts against God, God hardens our hearts even more. And so our society descends deeper and deeper and deeper into unrighteousness. That is the simmering wrath of God. There was a second week. Then in the third week, we heard how the simmering wrath of God will one day boil over in his righteous judgment of the world. And there will be no excuses on that day. There are so many excuses that people try to use in the hope that they will escape the day of judgment. But there is no excuse that will keep us from it. And so we come to this week. And... Rather than having everybody share the reading today like we normally do, um, I'm going to read it myself if that's okay, because it's actually a pretty difficult reading to, to read it as it's meant to be read. And the reason for that is Paul is presenting two sides of an argument. He's pretending that there's somebody there arguing with him. And Paul is then answering these arguments. Sometimes he voices what the argument is, and sometimes we have to guess what that argument is. Okay, so Paul has just said, people have turned their backs on God. And so God handed them over to all sorts of unrighteousness. He handed them over to a debased mind so they can't even tell right from wrong anymore. And so the day of wrath is coming, the day of wrath when when everybody will be judged and found guilty before God, Jews and Gentiles alike. There's not going to be any exceptions. But then there pipes up this religious Jew who claims immunity from the judgment of God on the basis of being one, one of God's chosen people. And so Paul is answering this fellow's argument, how no, you're not immune from this. Um, and in this discussion, he talks a fair bit about circumcision. Let me explain that. Not how it's done or what it looks like, um, but for what it means. For a Jew to be circumcised was the outward sign of his Jewishness. All right? And so it would refer to somebody as the circumcised, which means the Jew. Okay? Now, to help you understand this, uh, I believe there was a footy game this held this week, was there? Yeah? How'd we go? Just. How'd the Maroons go? Who are the Maroons? Who? Queensland what? Queensland, it's the Queensland Rugby League State of Origin football team, hey? That's right. But we just call them the Maroons, don't we? Alright? And that's like the Jews. Right? The, 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 the Maroon jersey is the outward sign of being a Queensland Rugby League football player. Right? We just refer to them as the Maroons. And the outward sign of being a Jew was circumcision. So they're just referred to as the circumcision. Okay? 
So the circumcision was the outward sign of being a Jew. So it's talking about God's chosen people of Israel. So let me read it to you now. Uh, reading from Romans chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 20 and it begins with Paul answering an imaginary objector. All right. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonour God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But... If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Right? So he's saying your Jewishness counts as unJewishness. So if a man who is uncircumcised, a non Jew, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Right? Won't he be regarded as one of God's people? then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Oh, what, what then advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged or when you judge. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, What shall we say? That that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. Speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? 
And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. How'd you go? Did you manage to follow it? It's a bit tui and froey, isn't it? But, but they're logical arguments. We talked about the downward spiral. People have turned their backs on God and so God handed them over to all sorts of unrighteousness. He's given them over to a debased mind so they can't even tell right from wrong anymore. And so God is going to judge the unrighteous. But surely that doesn't include the Jews, does it? I mean, they have God's law. It tells them what's right and what's wrong. They know these things. And so the Jews felt that they were immune from God's judgment for two reasons. Firstly, because they were God's chosen people. Surely God wouldn't judge them, would he? And secondly, because they weren't like everybody else. They were better than everybody else. They do know right from wrong, at least in most things, because they have God's law. The scriptures tell them what God requires. But you see, the problem wasn't in the knowing was in the doing and you know what that's like don't you there's times when you know the right thing to do but you do the wrong thing instead I know that about you because I know that about me I know the nature of man and woman I know that we do these things and it gives God a bad name doesn't it When we, who are people of his name, do the wrong thing, it gives God a bad name. God never gives himself a bad name. Anything the Lord does brings to him nothing but glory. But when those who claim to be God's people do evil, God is dishonoured because of it. And to our shame, we sometimes bring the name of God into disrepute. And it's something which has happened right throughout history. The religious wars and the crusades where people were slaughtered in the name of Jesus. We can't pretend these things didn't happen. The Spanish Inquisition, the trials and the executions of the so-called heretics. 
What about televangelists who get rich at the expense of the desperate and the poor and the lonely? What about the well-known preachers who get caught out in adultery and homosexuality? What about the sexual abuse of children by priests and religious workers? What about a local Christian businessman who has a name around town for lying and cheating? What about the fanatic who blows up an abortion clinic? Or the so-called Christian who lives in lavish extravagance while his overseas labourers don't even have enough to eat? When those who claim to be God's people do evil, guess who it reflects on? God. Gives God a bad name. And so what Paul is talking about here is empty religion. Empty religion. Religious observance is not enough. For a Jew, being a Jew and knowing God's law, well, that's all very good and nice, but it is of no value if that person breaks the law that he knows. It's not the holder of the law who is righteous before God. It is the keeper of the law. And Paul says, even the uncircumcised, right, the, the, the non-Jew, the Gentile, if their heart is right and if they keep the law, well, they're more of a Jew than somebody who is born as a Jew but doesn't keep the law. They are more one of God's people. Because your heritage won't save you. No matter how godly your parents and grandparents were, your heritage will not save you if your heart isn't right before God. And so empty religion would not exempt the Jew from judgment and nor will empty religion exempt us from judgment. What is empty religion? What is empty religion? Well, a lot of people today might picture a traditional style church service and say, oh, that's all empty religion. You know, whereas our service, well, you know, we, we're, we're alive and we're vibrant, but we're not empty. But you know what? A full on hyped up concert experience with everybody excited and clapping and hands raised can be more empty than two people quietly kneeling before God in humble penitence. You see, whether our religion is empty or whether it's a, a thing which has life, it's got nothing at all to do with the external show. It's all about what's going on in here. It's all about what's going on in your heart. It's not about how much you know and how many memory verses you've been able to memorise. It's not about your, your heritage and whether your parents were Christians or not. It's all about our hearts. Are our hearts yielded to God? Is your heart yielded to God? So... If this is the case, that Jews are still subject to judgment, the logical objection is, well, what, it is, what advantage is there to being a Jew? 
And a lot of people might say, well, there's no advantage at all. That's, they used to be God's special people, but not anymore. Now it's Christians who are the God's special people. But that's not what Paul says. The Jews continue to be God's chosen people. For a start, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Our Old Testament are the sacred scriptures of the Jews. And, and he tells us that it is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. That's some pretty powerful words. The embodiment of knowledge and truth. They foretold the coming of Jesus. We can learn so much about God and the heart that he has for his people. Don't you ever believe the lie that the God of the Old Testament is a different God to the God of the New Testament. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I feel duty bound to say to them, have you ever read the Old Testament? Have you ever even read the New Testament from cover to cover? The Old Testament is full of grace and mercy. Some people think it's just all about judgment and retribution. It's not. And likewise, the New Testament also proclaims grace and mercy and righteousness and judgment as the Old Testament does. I hope that when you read your Bible that you don't only read the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has seen these scriptures written so that we can study them and know God. Let's move on. Paul then says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? No, it doesn't. The Jews thought that they weren't going to get judged because they were God's chosen people and God had made them some promises. Uh, he gave them promises of blessing. But uh, he also gave them promises of curses. Even though Israel would break the covenant with God, the Lord would never, ever break his covenant with Israel because part of his covenant with them was when you break this covenant, not if, but when, when you break this covenant, when you stop worshipping me, when you begin to worship other gods, when you turn from the path of righteousness and start doing evil, I will punish you. That was part of God's covenant. Here's just one example that I, that I read in my daily Bible readings in this week just gone, coming from Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you today by loving Yahweh your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you're entering into to take possession of it. And that's where most people will stop their reading because they've had their nice devotional thought. But it continues. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. 
You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Now, that's just one example of many. God never breaks a covenant. The trouble is the Jews thought that the covenant would only bring them blessings. That they were only going to get all of these good things. But if they rebelled against God, well, God's covenant with them was another promise to them. I will judge you. And they were judged. And they will be judged again. Now, as Christians, we can learn a lot from this. Many Christians are in danger of becoming exactly like those Jews. We love to claim the blessings, don't we? How often do people just quote just a tiny little snippet of of a blessing out of the Old Testament and go, there you go, let's claim this blessing from God. Let me say to you, if you're going to claim the blessings, you've got to claim the whole of it. We can't just claim the blessings. As Christians, we love to claim the blessings, but we ignore our responsibilities under the covenant. Did you know even in the New Testament, we are warned many times against taking our position as God's children for granted. We have responsibilities under the new covenant. Did you know that? Here's a couple of examples. Jesus says a number of times, he tells us that if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. Now, there's a responsibility under the covenant. We're also warned against falling away. We're told that we will be holy and blameless before God if we continue in the faith. We have responsibilities in the covenant. We can't just decide today, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to get baptised, and then tomorrow decide, oh, I've done that, I can go and do my own thing now. We have a responsibility under the covenant to continue in the faith, to continue walking with Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about, following Jesus. Not starting with him and then turning away. And this is why we study the scriptures. This is why we encourage one another on in the faith. This is why we can't just do we church. Okay? Because as God's children, we should never presume upon our privileged position. Paul makes it clear that even as Christians, we should fear God. We should deeply respect and honour him and that we should be children of obedience. And we're going to see that coming out later on in the book of Romans. I think around about chapter 6. Now, at about this point, the objector throws in a ridiculous argument. Right, he says, all right, well, if our unrighteousness makes God look more righteous, then that's a good thing, right? We, we, we should get more unrighteous so God looks even better and therefore God shouldn't punish us. What a, what a ridiculous statement. But you know what? A lot of people live like that today. God is shown to be righteous because he saves. 
and God continues to save, so therefore they think it doesn't matter if I keep sinning. If I keep sinning, it just shows that God is gracious. Um, you know, there was a church in Corinth where a man was shacked up with his stepmother and the church were proud of it. Look how free we are. Look how much grace God has towards us. And Paul said, I've already judged him. Kick him out. So the Jews continue to be God's chosen people. But in relation to judgment, are they any better off? No, they're not. No one is righteous, not one. And at, that's, at this point, Paul strings together a heap of Old Testament quotes about people who have earned the judgment of God because they do evil. And guess what? In their context, most, if not all, of these quotes are referring to people who are themselves Jews. So the bad news for the fourth week in a row is the whole world is accountable to God. And so verse 20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one can ever be made righteous by doing good deeds. Because none of us have that power to make ourselves righteous in God's sight. The law, the scriptures, the Old Testament, well, that helps us to know what's right and what's wrong. But, you know, one thing that I've discovered is the more that we try to do the right thing, the more we realise that we just can't achieve it. The more righteous one becomes, the more conscious they also become of the unrighteousness that remains. That's the predicament that chapter 3 verse 9 spells out. It tells us the predicament. We are under sin. We don't just live in sin. We don't just do a bit of sin. We don't just think a bit of sin. We don't just say sinful things. It's not just a bit of an attitude toward God. We're not just affected by sin or tempted to sin. The predicament is we are under sin. What that means is sin rules us. Sin has rule and reign in our life and therefore we are absolutely incapable of being justified because sin controls us. What we need is a new rule, a new master, a new Lord. Of course, that Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who can take us out from living under sin so that sin doesn't rule us any longer. Someone who will liberate us from our old ruler, from our old Lord of sin and become our King, our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus And so it doesn't matter how religious someone is or how many good deeds they think they do unless Jesus is their Lord, they are under sin. They are ruled by sin, they are controlled by sin and therefore subject to judgment. You know, 
we sort of tend to think of preaching the gospel, oh, yeah, we, we'll preach the gospel to these really bad people because they'll be cut to the heart, they'll know they're really sinful people and, and they'll turn to Jesus. But even those who seem to be the good people, live good lives, be the decent people, the moral people, even they are caught in this thing called sin. They are ruled by it. Jews and Gentiles alike, no matter how religious we are. And next week we're going to be coming out of this dark tunnel. I reckon we've heard enough of the bad news. Who's sick about hearing about the bad news? Anyone? (laughs) Some of you are. I hope by now that Paul has convinced us all of our need for a saviour, a new ruler, a new Lord. And next week we're going to hear about the righteousness that comes through faith.